Hello and welcome into another episode of The Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and joining me once again is Kyle J. Andrews, ready to talk some Penn State football. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing well. Just, uh, you know, I mean, they beat Maryland. We all expected that, so I mean, things happen and uh, time to move on, right? Just glad, just glad that that game's over, even I, though... Listen, you, know, you, can, you can say we expected it, but we got to halftime of that game and I like was like, well... Sure, seems like Maryland's going to win this game. So, you I know, knew we, they wouldn't. We 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 expected it going into into the game. That the the flow of the game was not good. The offense was not good in the first half. The defense was good all game as it has been all year. Um, but let's start with the the star of the show there, and that's uh, senior wide receiver Jahan Dotson, who was fantastic Saturday. Set the single game uh, receiving yards record at Penn State with two hundred and forty two, breaking Dion Butler's record from the mid aughts uh, against Northwestern. I think it was two thousand six. Uh, what did you see that stuck out most about Dotson? He absolutely torched every single person that they threw at him. And I mean, and I'll say this right now, Nick Cross is a very good safety. Um, but you know, he made him look silly and that's, that's the kind of player that Jahan Dotson is. I mean, he, he makes a lot of guys look silly. And the fact that you know, that that slant and go route that he ran on that first touchdown looked like one of the best. I mean, that was one of the smoothest routes I've seen all season. And then he goes and does something similar right after, and then he does it a third time. And then it looked like he almost was going to get a fourth one, and he was just stopped just short. You know, had he slid out of that tackle, he would have been fine. So it just – I mean, it's really interesting to see how he's continued to – you know, just make everyone look silly and he can do anything that he puts his mind to. I mean, that that's, you know, that goes without saying the fact that, that he, I mean, if he was six foot three, he'd be, you know, a no doubt top five pick in the NFL draft. If he was six foot three. I, I think there's a, there's a decent chance he's a no doubt top 15 guy anyways. Um, you mentioned that sluggo route. The, the pump fake from Clifford helps, but what really sort it was the, the initial break into the slant uh, Dotson completely sold and then once he had to break up field it was pretty easy from there because the initial break is all Cross needed to see and Cross came flying up field he hits the brakes goes up field uh, and wide open for a touchdown that Sean Clifford underthrew a little bit Dotson had to come back to the ball and get it uh, and, and bring it in for the touchdown the second touchdown a little overthrown again Dotson goes up and gets it and makes the best of it the third one was uh, really well placed by Clifford another sluggo up the seam this time Clifford hits Dotson in stride, and, and Dotson had three guys sort of in position to make that play, two at a really good angle, uh, and one of them ended up face first in the dirt at the 20-yard line, and he was crossing the goal line. So this is, I think, pretty clearly one of the best three wide receivers in the country, potentially the best wide receiver in the country. It's it's really close up there at the top, though, and I don't know that we'll ever see another receiver performance like this again at Penn State. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. The Penn State, they've had, they've had really good receivers come through, but... I think Jahan Dotson, you know, I I guess in the story that I wrote, the uh, three takeaway story, I talked about how, you know, I think it was only four guys, four receivers in Penn State history that have been drafted in the first round. And I think Jahan Dotson is definitely one of those guys, as long as he stays healthy before the end of the season, knock on wood for him especially. Um, I, I think he's he's a clear top 15 guy, like you said, and I think he'll, he's going in the first round for sure. That's not even a question. Um you know, if people watch him the whole season, he's the only reason. I, I think he's the main reason why this Penn State offense 
can even move the ball down the field, you know, at times. Because, yes, Parker Washington is a very talented receiver, and I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is very talented as well. But without Jahan Dotson's threat to be able to blow the lid off off of the defenses and to be able to, you know, score from any place on the field, you know, that makes your – I mean, if defenses have to account for that, then a lot of other guys can have open opportunities. So, you know, I I think that – you know, that that's the main reason why I think he's one of the top receivers in the country, because if if it wasn't for him, I think this offense would be, um, you know, stagnant, to say the least. Yeah. And for I mean, they won this game because of him. Right. Like the offense wasn't getting anything going. They won the game because Dotson made plays. Um, and he's done that several times this year. This is probably the most direct example, though, of where his play is the specific reason they won the game. Uh, I'm with you, like everything you said about his draft prospects. I think what's really interesting about this, though, is coming out of high school, he was a, uh, I think he, he ran the hurdles in high school uh, and, and was was a, a good track athlete. But every time he posted up a 40-yard dash, it was like a 4.7 or 4.8. It was something that wasn't um, sort of, you know, it wasn't very good. Uh, he, of course, was a UCLA commit to Chip Kelly, and then Chip Kelly gets, or before Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly gets there, and he ends up decommitting and, uh, goes to Penn State sort of at the last second, and he goes from that guy that was running those slow 40s to he recently said he posted a 4-3-3 this summer, which is unbelievable speed. And and that's frankly something we've seen a lot from these Penn State guys uh, over the years with Dwight Gaunt there. But, yeah, I, I think this he is the reason the offense goes at this point. You can credit who you'd like. You can credit Yurcich. You can credit Sean Clifford. Um, Yurcich does have to scheme these plays for Dotson, but at the end of the day, He's the reason they're happening. A lesser wide receiver would not be able to put up these numbers. A lesser wide receiver wouldn't be able to take over and win a single game like he did Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, who who can take over games like that? I mean, it's like the last time I think we've seen a res- like a, an offensive player on Penn State be as good as Jahan Dotson is Saquon Barkley. I mean, to say the least, that's not even – I don't feel like that's a crazy thing to say, especially considering that, you know – if I, I think if they if they had won more games, Jahan Dotson would be a Heisman candidate. You know, I, I, that's how I feel anyway. If they if they won against Illinois, if they had beaten, let's say, you know, Jahan Dotson wills them to victory against Iowa, you know, I think he's in a Heisman conversation at that point. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, though, those things didn't happen, uh, right? I, I do think there is reason to. Um, still include him in that discussion, especially if things get better for Penn State down the stretch here, if they can finish 9-3, and three, um, if they can get the two upset victories that they're looking at with Michigan and Michigan State here at the end. Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, and like we've said to start, like this is Jahan Dotson's offense. This is – he makes it go. He makes everything happen. There's no running game, like legitimately no running game. They, they, uh, James Franklin talked about progress they made this week. They were mostly bad in the running game except when they gave Kevon Lee the ball, right? Like this was still not a good performance by the running game against a pretty bad Maryland run defense. So if, if you can't do it then, when are you going to be able to do it? And honestly, just keep feeding Dotson at this point, and, and there's no reason to do much else uh, offensively. And and listen, when he starts getting double covered, Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington are good enough to make big things happen. Maryland just made the mistake of not double covering Dotson much and giving him these opportunities that you don't want to give a guy that good. And I, I think this is something that, you know, I don't think we're – I mean, when are we ever going to see – like you said, when are we ever going to see something like Dotson again, someone like Dotson? I mean, his his ability, his ability – his route running ability is outstanding. Then his explosiveness, I mean, you know, he could jump out of the gym literally um, 
And I, I just think that if if Penn State could find guys like this that, you know, maybe their 40 times aren't great, but, you know, they get in football pads and then they're – and I know, I know now Dodson's 40 time is great, but it, he always had the explosiveness to be great. You know, this is a guy that probably – you know, didn't have the technique to run the 40 early on in his career. And now, I mean, he might be a four. What he, I mean, he might end up being a four two nine guy or a four or a low four threes guy. And I mean, if, if you have a guy like that, I mean, on your team that can just break anything at, at any point in the game, I mean, that helps. And, you know, I, I think that on, on the flip side, I guess to talk about the rest of the team, I think the defense played very good. I think they they got under the skin of uh, Talia Tagovailoa, um, but yeah, I, I just think that 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 helped out a lot in this game, and they especially that last pick. I mean, that pick by Jair Brown, um, and more than sealed the deal for them. Yeah, the the interception you're talking about, of course, basically, like you said, sealed the deal. They were up twenty four to fourteen. Jair Brown gets a pick six. Uh, on a route that he had no business being anywhere near, right? Like he was in, uh, he was deeper in the field. He saw Tonga Vailoa sort of look up at the look up and see the slant developing cross field. I think it was a slant, might have been a drag, but either way, it was a crossing route. And Brown beats the wide receiver to the spot to the point that the wide receiver looked surprised that that Jair was there, right? Like he he didn't expect a defender to be there. He expected to, to get the ball and then sort of turn off field and have a chance to score to cut it to a three point game. That's not what happened. Brown intercepts the pass, takes it back for the score. Um, but yeah, th- this was a, a really good defensive performance altogether for Penn State. Uh, the, the pass rush got home a couple times between Tangelo and Abikadi. Uh, You know, two sacks isn't like uh, some spectacular performance, but it shows that you're at least getting some pressure. They were able to get pressure otherwise too. Tonga Vailoa didn't always look comfortable back there. But I, I think the run defense is something to be commended here because Maryland, like most teams, were not was not able to run the ball against Penn State. They they consistently got stuffed in the backfield. They consistently got stuffed at the line of scrimmage, and and they were unable to rely on anything other than throwing the ball. and And that played into Penn State's hands. And you know this this Maryland <laughs> this Maryland offensive line. I, I felt like, but before the game even started, I knew that Maryland would would kind of struggle in terms of you know being able to contain that pressure. Um, I, I think that. You know, Arnold Abikati, I mean, he showed up a couple times. Even even if at times where he, he wasn't getting a sack, he was still putting hits on Talia Tagovailoa. And I, I think when you have a guy like that, and Curtis Jacobs was flying around the ball too. I mean, they had – it seemed like all of the guys that, you know, were local guys were coming out there and tried to go out there and punch Maryland in the mouth. I mean, it, it seemed like it was personal for a lot of those guys. And, you know, that's always a fun game to watch um, because I know that, you know, one, I, th- I think as a, as a Marylander myself, I like seeing those, you know, local battles. And I like seeing the fact that, you know, the talent doesn't – I mean, it's so much talent that the talent's spreading between states. It's not just staying in one state. You have a – I mean, they, they're getting kids from Maryland at Penn State. They're also getting the kids in Pennsylvania – and when you combine those two forces together against a Maryland school that I think, you know, is still trying to build their identity, I, I think that, it, you know, it's 
it's fun for it's more fun for the Penn Staters, I think, because <laughs> they get to watch Penn State's Maryland guys beat the crap out of Maryland's own Maryland guys. So, well, and, and I think that this is sort of the way this game went. And the result especially is sort of indicative of what we've seen between these two teams in the recent years, uh, basically since James Franklin has gotten to Penn State. This is mostly a one-sided battle on and off the field. Uh, Penn State sort of gets any recruit that they want uh, from Maryland. Really the only guy Penn State was pushing for that went to Maryland was Nick Cross, uh, also considered Florida State at the end. Uh, you know, they, they're they getting whoever they want out of those two places. If, if those are the two schools that are battling for guys, um, you know, th- this is – another domination uh not as severe as in 2019 and 2017 but another convincing win at least for penn state and uh you know in college park like these are generally non-competitive games this was the most competitive one until it wasn't like penn state was able to pull away uh because the offense finally put it together but but yeah just uh, you know this is sort of one of those one-sided matchups um that that i think is probably going to continue to be this way as long as these two teams keep recruiting the way they have um you know, and we'll see if, if Maryland can can sort of improve off of that. But head to head, they haven't been able to beat Penn State much. You know, and and when you when you throw the ball fifty seven times and you average six and a half yards per attempt, I mean, it's it's not good. Uh, you know, when when you when you're not able to to produce much more than than two touchdowns in the game, um, when you know you you sort of look lost out there, you you, you look uncomfortable. So. Uh, I, I don't know that this is and, and you know I get what you're saying like this it's it's a fun matchup to watch and everything but to me this is much closer to a you know it's not Penn State Rutgers but it's you know the Penn State Indiana-ish sort of matchup at this point you know as, as, from Penn State's perspective like I said I think the run game is is a lost cause at this point um, and just to sort of get back to the team and how, what this means moving forward I do think part of what I was hitting at there with Tonga Vailoa Penn State secondary is one of the best that I've seen uh, at Penn State. Uh, these are four very talented guys that are starters. Daquan Hardy's very talented, comes in. Um, you know, Kalen King has struggled a bit, hit a, hit a freshman waft or looking good in camp and everything. But the four guys they start with, Jair Brown, Jaquan Brisker at safety, Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro Fields at corner, I think are as good as we're going to see. Uh, and I think that's something not to take for granted. We won't see much of them this weekend, though, because this weekend Penn State will be playing Michigan. And Michigan is going to run the ball. And then when they're done running the ball, they're going to run the ball again. And then when they finish doing that, they're going to run the ball a little bit more. And then maybe, maybe we'll see a play action. Uh, what are your general thoughts heading into this matchup, though? I think that, um, you know, I've, there's another guy that I watched a lot in high school, uh, Blake Corm. I mean, he's a very dynamic running back. and We'll see if he plays, though. Yeah, That's the thing. Here. If he plays. He, uh, I believe he was out. Donovan Edwards was out uh, on Saturday when Michigan played Indiana. Uh, so uh, that's one of the things I think to monitor here moving forward. Yeah, and uh, I think that Michigan, you know, they're a team that I think is <laughs> – I think if it's any team that's like Penn State, Michigan is very much so like Penn State where, you know, you, you expect you expect better from them at times, but then you also see that they're not quite ready yet. And I think that Michigan – you know, I think this could be anyone's game, truthfully. I think this is going to be a very close game, um, and I think that – you know, if you can, if you can get the Kate and McNamara, you're gonna rattle him. I, I just, you know, I, I don't. I'm not trying to throw him completely under the bus, but I just, you know, he's very, he's Sean Clifford esque, to say the least. I think if you, he will get rattled if you put hits on him, if you get to him, if you, and that's most quarterbacks. But I think Kate McNamara is very, 
you know, mistake prone if, you know, you get things going. I, I, yeah, I just don't know that, you know, he's going to be in those positions to make mistakes. I, I don't think they're going to throw the ball all that much. They they average just over 20 throwing attempts per game for McNamara. It's around 21-ish, uh, 22-ish. So it, especially in, the, you know, the modern age of college football, that's, you know, that's next to nothing, right? Like they, they are trying to run the ball, and I think that's going to fall at Hassan Haskins' feet first and foremost because Quorum left the Indiana game with an injury. Donovan Edwards missed the Indiana game. And if those two guys are gone, this is the Haskins show. And generally, they've had a home run hitter next to Haskins, who's a big bruising running back, like 6'1", 230, you know, runs through tackles, averaging five yards a carry this year. But Corum and, and Edwards have been able to break big plays, Corum more so than Edwards, who's a true freshman. Um, and, and they've been able to make things happen for Michigan after Haskins wears a defense down. What do you think the loss of Corum or Edwards could do to this Michigan offense this, this Saturday? I think that, you know... <laughs> It's going to be that that's why I'm thinking to myself that maybe K McNamara has to be relied on a tad bit more just because of the fact that, you know, Edwards and Quorum possibly might be out. If one of them is back, I mean, that'll help him out a ton. But I think, you know, I mean, Haskins is still an outstanding running back. It's it's not I mean, he averages five yards a pop and he has 829 carry, I mean, yards this season and 11 touchdowns. I mean, the guy is a very, very good running back and. I think that even if they do have, even if they were to say, okay, Penn State knows they can, you, they're going to stack the box against us, and we could still probably run because Penn State's run defense hasn't been the same as what it had been when PJ Mustafer was there. I, I think the the biggest thing to look at here with Haskins is, and and I get what you, you know, the the McNamara point is a valid one, right? Like they might force him to throw the ball more. I just don't know that this game is ever going to be so far out of reach that they feel obligated to do that, right? Like, they, I think this game's going to be close, and they, they think they're going to be able to continue to run the ball. You know, even if it's Haskins getting 30 uh, carries this game, he's had 27 twice this year already, so clearly he can handle a, a higher workload. I think the interesting thing to look at here is this is the best defense uh, Michigan has, or the second best defense Michigan has played all year, and the only one within that realm is Wisconsin. And when Michigan traveled to Wisconsin, Haskins had 19 carries for 47 yards. Um, the Penn State run defense hasn't been as good without Mustafer, but they've been better the last two weeks. Or the, Yeah, they've been better the last two weeks, excuse me. Uh, they, they were bad against Illinois, but they're continuing to improve, and I think they're continuing to adjust to the loss of Mustafer. So I think if they're going to rely on Haskins, this isn't going to go well for Michigan, but I also think if they throw the ball, it's not going to go all that well for Michigan. So we're looking at a pretty good chance that this is a low-scoring game this weekend. Yeah, and it might be one of the ugliest games that we watch in a very long time. And it might be, I mean, who knows? It might be similar to, um, you know, like, I mean, it might be similar to the Wisconsin game uh, where it was just very just ugly. It was an ugly game. Yeah, and, and the the difference here, I think, is for Penn State, it's a home game, right? And that generally uh, helps the team out quite a bit. Um, you know, we'll see if, if that ends up mattering in the end, but I do think Penn State's offense, uh, should have some, some level of success against Michigan. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, the, they're going to do what they did, uh, against bad teams this year, but they should have more success than they did against Wisconsin. Maybe it looks a little more comparable to what they did against Iowa, 
Yeah, so this is gonna this is gonna be on Clifford's shoulders, right? He's got to get the ball to Dotson, uh, and if Michigan's gonna focus their time and efforts on stopping Jahan Dotson, then he needs to get the ball to key Andre Lambert Smith. He needs to get it to Parker Washington. He needs to get it to Theo Johnson. He needs to get it to his backs out of the backfield because they're not gonna be able to run the ball against Michigan because they haven't been able to run the ball against anyone this year, and that is not going to suddenly change in game ten. Uh, it is it is just who they are at this point, and throwing the ball is going to be the way to do it. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on Sean Clifford. That being said, he's got the playmakers to help him out, and I don't know if he needs to be a big-time thrower for Penn State to win this game. He just kind of has to make the right decisions. Yeah, and that's that's just something that is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, necess- it's very necessary for Sean Clifford to, to stay, you know, calm, stay precise in his decision-making, you know, just not make mistakes. And if, if he can do, I mean, honestly, if he looks up and – you know, he has a game like he did before getting hurt against Iowa where, yes, you throw the ball away twice, <laughs> but you still had a chance to – I mean, you, you would have probably blown them out the way that things were going um, or at least beaten them by a couple touchdowns, I, I thought, um, had he stayed healthy. And now we can see if if Sean Clifford is – to if he's healthy the entire game and he stays, you know, and he stays with his mind and uh, in the right place, I think – he can have a solid game against Michigan. He doesn't have to do everything, but he just needs to be able to get John Dotson the ball in his catch radius. And if you, we've seen, you know, Clifford make some terrible throws that we think are terrible, but the thing is, John Dotson knows where those balls are going. So if that's the case, I mean, if they can continue to do that and throw the ball just in his area, or, um, you know, even if, guys uh, are tight on Dotson and they're double, I mean, they're bracketing them in coverage and then you can find, you know, one of your other receivers open. I think that's something that Clifford, he has a pretty good chance of, uh, you know, making happen. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if, if you want to go back to what I said about sort of comparing this to the Wisconsin game, um, from a quarterback standpoint, Sean Clifford's better than Graham Mertz is. Uh, he's better than Chase Wolf is and Wolf had to play a little bit in that game because Mertz got hurt. Um, and, and Wisconsin turned the ball over three times, though, and that's a big reason why they lost that game. If you're Penn State, you gotta you got to hang on to the ball, right? Like, you can't give it up. You can't give Michigan extra offensive possessions. You can't let them wear down the clock and sort of beat you that way. You've got to slow things, or you've got to keep the ball. You've got to prevent them from slowing things down, and you've got to hit on some big plays to speed them up uh, on offense uh, because offensively, the run by Josh Gaddis. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator there, Penn State fans. Obviously very familiar with Gaddis. He was at Penn State from 2014 to 2017. Went to Alabama as a co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach. Of course, he was the wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator, and offensive recruiting coordinator at Penn State. Leaves for Alabama. Uh, is at Alabama for a year. Accepts a job to be the Maryland offensive coordinator. Like, hours later, accepts the Michigan offensive coordinator job without ever actually going to Maryland. That was a whole thing that I remember uh, pretty vividly. And has been the offensive coordinator since 2019 at Michigan. But this offense is different. Uh, than that one has. As James Franklin said today, this is an offense that that isn't trying to look like the ones that, that Gaddis was a part of at Penn State. It's trying to look like more of the Stanford Jim Harbaugh offense. Yeah. And I mean if you can if you can keep it to that kind of offense where you're not, you know, going too crazy with things, I, I mean, that that'll help them out, I think. I mean, because I, I just think they're at the point where, you know, you have to minimize mistakes with the guys that you have. And I think that at the moment, um, you know, with those running backs that they have, they don't have to worry about, um, you know, just having, just making, they don't have to worry about making too many mistakes uh, with those running backs and, you know, keeping the ball out of the air. 
they can they can take the air out of the ball, keep it on the ground, and that's very good for you know cold weather teams. I think, and I, I think that's very important for for Michigan to have. Um, however, you know it makes them a little bit one dimensional. I mean, in Penn State, offensively is the exact opposite of Michigan, where Michigan can run the heck out of the ball, but their passing offense leaves a lot to be desired. So. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm, I'm just waiting to, I'm just waiting to see how it'll all shake out, especially with, uh, you know, Penn State's run defense. Yeah, and, and I, I do think though that, you know, the, um, the, the passing principles sort of are, are still kind of the same uh, at Michigan, even if they're just running the ball more. Um, they're not, you know, they're they're not some explosive passing team, but they. They can still methodically move the ball down the field if they need to. Uh, they just haven't needed too much this year. And when they did have to be explosive, they kind of were against Michigan State. That game was just kind of crazy. Uh, and the defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain. But, you know, that that puts us to this point. Uh, we've discussed this game enough. What's your prediction? Who wins and why? One, I think that, you know, I've been saying this for a few weeks. I think Penn State beats Michigan. Um, and the reason why I think that is because I think that, you know, I think that what they needed last week was to get their offense back on track, um, even if it just meant force feed and John Dotson. And I think that if they can figure out ways to get him open, scheme him open, get him out in the space, um, I, I think that'll help. And I also think, too, like, I mean, it's time for the guys that play tight end to step up again. And I think that they can if, um, you know, they're open, but they have to catch the ball. Um, and I think that they're probably adding emphasis on catching the freaking football. <laughs> um, but I think Penn State wins, uh, I think it's 20 to, to 14. Yeah, uh, I'm going with Penn State 17 to 13. I've waffled back and forth on this. Penn State is favored in this game, or was last I checked, by a point, uh, which I think would surprise a lot of people. Um, but this is still a good Penn State team with a good Penn State defense that can can hold Michigan down, especially if they don't have Blake Corum, if they, especially if they don't have Donovan Edwards, and that's the caveat, right? I'm assuming they're going to have neither guy and going with Penn State 17-13. If they play, I think this could be closer to like 30-17 to 17 Michigan. Um, but right now, I don't know that there's a ton of reason to expect them to play. We don't know much, but but Blake Corum wasn't a boot on Saturday. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I'm, I'm not exactly uh, expecting to see either of those guys on the field at the moment. And we will take that transition to Penn State men's basketball, uh, where we are going to switch things up here to end this, where Noah Reif, our wonderful producer, is going to take over the hosting duties uh, to talk about some Penn State men's hoops. Let's do it. We're back. We are back. It's hoop season, baby. It is hoop season. Ball is, in fact, life. You very excited for your second ever appearance? I, I am. I am. I feel honored to be to be I'm a regular now we're getting dangerously close to you being a regular we're gonna, I know we're probably gonna have to fix that I, I agree yeah so let's let's talk about basketball I, I'm interested to know first of all there's been a lot of major changes you could say that for the least the departure of Pat Chambers who's gone who's apparently working at LaSalle now yeah um, the special assistant to uh, Ashley Howard LaSalle's head coach I believe it's a volunteer position yeah so now we have Coach Shrewsbury, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about just to start, you know, his coaching staff and him and what they bring to Penn State? Yeah, uh, so Micah Shrewsbury, obviously named Penn State's head coach in the second week of March, if I remember correctly. Um, they dealt with a lot the first week there, right? Like half this team went in the portal uh, and quite a few left too. Uh, but the staff he brought in, Adam Fisher, associate head coach, Aki Collins, assistant coach, 
Mike Fairley, assistant coach, uh, a, a really good staff. Collins is the only one that Shrewsbury had any previous experience working with, and that was like 20 years ago when they were at Marshall. So this, like, th- they've all talked about a lot, and I talked to them to this uh, about this at Media Day. Everyone's kind of getting to know each other. Like, it's it's really hard to uh, to sort of coalesce that quickly, but they've done it. Um, and now they sort of have to bring that to the roster too because there's been a lot of changes on the coaching staff. There's been more changes uh, in, uh, on the roster. Uh, yeah, who's, I, who's I, gone? I, Everyone. Right, right. Yeah, that was one of my follow-up questions. You know, who did we lose? Who did who did we gain? What what's the new look of the team? Yeah. So John Hara, the mainstay, right, is the only the only player on Monday that Micah willfully named a starter. He said the rest will figure out, but he said you can pencil in uh, Hara right now. Uh, we'll start for Penn State this year. Um, right now I would, I would pencil in the other four guys to start two returning from, or actually I would say three returning from last year wound up starting, uh, Miles Dredd, Seth Lundy and Sam Sessoms with the other being Jalen Pickett, who might be the best player on the team, right? Which is, you know, he's, listen, he's a newcomer, but he is really good. Uh, excellent lead guard, uh, listed at six, four, which is really good size for lead guard, big physical kid. The shot doesn't look like it should go in as much as it does, but it does go in, which is a positive sign. Uh, big time ball mover. He's not going to the not going to hog the ball. Uh, not going to make life difficult for his teammates. He should open things up for them more than anything. Uh, some of the other newcomers, Jaheim Cornwall, coming off the bench, excellent shooter. Like he's just going to shoot, and then he's going to shoot more, and then he's going to shoot more after that. So uh, something I think Penn State fans have been missing for a while. Uh, and then the other one's Greg Lee, who has been declared out for the season opener. There's no timetable on his return. But that's a guy that I expect to have a pretty big role when he does come back. Yeah, that seems it seems like there has been a lot of change. I mean, that's do you think that's going to be tough at all for this team to kind of gel together? Or do, what, what is, what's that kind of looking like, that on-court feel? Yeah, and I, I think that's the toughest part, right? Because I've, I've gone back and I've spent too much time watching all of these guys play at their previous institutions. It's Greg Lee at Western Michigan, uh, Jalen Pickett at Siena. Um, you know, Cornwall at, at Gardner-Webb, like the, you watch them play their individual styles, these individual schools, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to say, how does that fit here? Because we don't know what, what they're fitting into here. We haven't seen this offense. You can base it a little bit off of what Purdue uh, would run because uh, Micah Shrewsbury was essentially an offensive coordinator with the Boilermakers under Matt Painter and would call the offense. They're going to move the ball a lot. They're going to try and generate open shots at the perimeter. They're not going to like just try and create paint touches with the sake of paint touches. They want to shoot at the rim, and they want to shoot at the three-point line. And math will tell you that that is a good idea, right? Like, this is where the, the modern basketball game has gone. And they're going to try to do that. As far as fit, like, I, I, I worry that they don't have enough shooting yet. Uh, Pickett, like I said, the shot goes in. Sometimes it doesn't look like it should, which is a little worrisome. Sessoms is a fine shooter. Uh, if he's improved from that standpoint, that would be huge. Miles Dredd is inconsistent from beyond the arc. Seth Lundy can can be really hit or miss uh, from beyond the arc. John Harris is not going to shoot from beyond the arc, nor should he. Uh, Greg Lee can shoot from out there whenever he gets healthy. Cornwall, like I said, dead-eye shooter. So they have they have a bunch of guys that's like, okay, you can space the floor enough, right? And you need the defense to, to actively close out on those guys. They need to, when they get the ball on the perimeter, they need to, you need the defense to close out on them. And those guys have to be able to attack a close out and get to the rim. Fortunately, all of those guys can do that. And I think that's going to be one of their strengths this year. Yeah. And, and kind of with that development in mind, are, is this coaching staff, you know, going to be able to develop some of these players? What, what are their kind of previous, you know, CV? Yeah. So these, these are guys that should get the most out of these players. Right, like uh, Mike Farrelly, uh, I think you could make the pretty strong argument that he should have been named Hofstra's head coach this year. 
Uh, did a lot with not much last year. Didn't get the job. It went to, a, a, I think, a former letter winner there. Um, Adam Fisher, developer of talent at Miami. Track record of success there. Aki Collins was, uh, did some scouting stuff in the NBA. So it was a good identifier of talent. It remains to be seen if he can develop it. But if he can, major plus. And then Shrewsbury himself, I mean, he took some guys with the Celtics and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and helped them get to the next level. Now, they get the credit for putting the work in. He gets some of the credit for helping them get there. Same thing can be said in both of his stints at Purdue. When he was at Butler, he played a major, major role in developing guys like Gordon Hayward. He helped with Jaden Ivey last year. I think development is going to be huge with this team. They just don't have a lot of youth right now to develop. Yeah, and looking forward, I guess, to building that youth, and I know this is a really big general question, but are these coaches that are getting recruits and what is, you know, kind of the classes looking like in the future? Yeah, so they they have a big class this year. Uh, a five-man class. We can talk about more about that class specifically in depth next week because they sign. Uh, we're recording Tuesday. They sign tomorrow, so they will have a signing day event on yeah. Thursday where the coaches will be able to talk about those guys more in depth, and we can get their feel for it. I generally think they got a lot of guys that they wanted. Um, people will point to Otega Owe going to Oklahoma instead of Penn State. I don't know that Owe's. I'm trying to think how to phrase this. He's good, right? Otega Owe is very good. I don't know that the way that you maximize Otega Owe is how Penn State wants to play necessarily. So it, it's definitely a big hit from a talent standpoint, but I don't know that it is going to be like, you know, a, a long-term massive loss. The other one people will point to is Derek Lively II, who was the best player in the country. And listen, this is at the end of the day, this is still Penn State basketball. They were not going to get the best player in the country, even if he is from Belfort, and they didn't. So I, I don't know that you can be all too surprised about that. But yeah, I think they are getting talent and they're going to continue to get talent too. Yeah, so I do I do quickly want to touch on, I know Jamari Wheeler left the program. Uh, was there any other people who left, and what is, should we be, I mean, excited to watch them in the league? Like, what is what is kind of the feel on that? Yeah, so Jamari left, uh, Isaiah Brockington left, and Myron Jones left. I get the sense that Myron Jones was probably leaving no matter what. Uh, I, I don't know that the Chambers um, resignation, I believe is the way it's been termed. Uh, I don't know if the Chambers resignation is... Going was going to impact that all that much. Uh, Myron Jones down at Florida should be doing really well this year. Isaiah Brockington at Iowa State, I think. It, you know, you can talk to a few people about how that went. Um, I think they're going to miss his scoring. I think they want guys who can shoot better from beyond the arc, though. So I don't know if that's going to be as big of a loss from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, they need some guys who can get some buckets, and Isaiah Brockington could get some buckets. Uh, now, Jamari Wheeler is, is going to be a tough loss from a, a point of attack defense standpoint. But, again, this is not going to be the risk-taking defense that Penn State had in the past. They're going to try to stay solid more. And I think Jamari Wheeler probably doesn't fit that defense as well, even though he probably still would have excelled in it. Yeah, and, and, and transitioning away from personnel, let's just talk about schedule and games in general. What what big games are you looking forward to or games that, like, if you're a casual Penn State basketball fan or just getting back into it after an era of, let's be frank, disappointment what, what games should you be looking to to be excited about and to watch yeah I, I think there's I mean the Big Ten schedule right is the obvious answer here um the, the Big Ten schedule is going to be fun it's going to be uh they're going to be a lot of good teams they play Purdue at the Bryce Jordan Center and uh Purdue's the best team in the Big Ten and for my money the best team in the country Jaden Ivey very exciting player uh, I covered his recruitment back when I was with Rivals. Um, outside of that, I think Miami is a really fun one for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Adam Fisher, coming from there, is now coaching against them. Uh, coaching against the staff that, that he worked with you know, for the last, I, want, I, can't, I think it's like seven years or something like that, um, immediately followed up by Ohio State. 
it's probably the best two-game stretch you'll have, uh, and it's in early December, and I think that could set the tone. If Penn State can be competitive in both of those games, I think that can really set the tone for how they're going to do the rest of the year and what they can get rolling moving forward. Yeah, and I, and I guess that brings me to my next question, too. You know, What is a realistic outlook for this team this year? Because you've talked about it's a new coaching staff, we're building, but what about this season, You know, Big Ten-wise? what Where are we looking? This... I think this is probably a 500 team overall. Um, I think it's probably a bottom tier Big Ten team. Uh, I don't think you should set expectations too high. Uh, I think they could, you know, potentially go or inch closer to 500 in the Big Ten. But I don't know that the collection of talent is there just yet. I think they're going to be enjoyable to watch uh, more so in the past. I think fans should look forward to that. Um, I just don't, you know, I I, I don't know that the wins are going to come as plentiful as you might expect with a better coach because the roster isn't it's good but it still lacks depth and it still lacks sort of the um the pieces to put it over the top I guess Pickett and Lee are really really good I just don't know that you know they're gonna have enough time to adjust they're both seniors Uh, Pickett will be back next year in all likelihood he has the extra year of eligibility because of COVID Lee will not uh but you know it's it should be a more fun basket brand of basketball to watch it should be a team that can get an upset or two but I also think they're going to be some disappointing nights for fans so I guess n- tournament tournament thoughts is this I'm I'm seeing you over there sighing I there are none there uh, are none well I mean that's not fair uh, there are never none well, I mean well sometimes there are none uh, over the last ten years there were none for some some of those teams but I I do think it's a long shot um, I don't know that the NIT is the craziest thing in the world like a few things break right and they can make the NIT and I think that would be a huge win for Shrewsbury and his staff in his first year to get to the NIT to have something to build off of. And then sort of replenish next year, get the freshman recruiting class in, get some more uh, grad transfers and transfer portal guys in. But I just think like setting the expectations at the NCAA tournament is sort of unfair to this staff and this roster at this point. And I mean, you think about Pat Chambers, who that was his crown jewel, was winning the NIT. I mean, he he would have potentially most likely had a they team make the tournament. They would have been in the tournament in 2019. Yeah, but that was his crown jewel. So to get that, you know, year one, that's that seems like a good precedent to set if that happens. And again, it is just his first year yeah and, and that's the thing with with all of this like Penn State is still a bottom tier Big Ten basketball program right Big Ten men's basketball program um and you have to build it to get there and they seem to be investing in the coaching staff and the coach um they they seem to be making that investment to take it to the next level but doing that doesn't get you there the first year probably get you there in year three maybe even in year two but it's not going to get you there in year one. Uh, and it's highly unlikely it does. And if it does, like that is enormous, like absolutely enormous. If this team comes out and does something like making the NCAA tournament, I just don't think that that's sort of uh, fair to put that expectation on them right now or, or fair to Shrewsbury, fair to staff, fair to the players. I do think they're, if, if they can keep building off it, they're not as far off as some people would think within a year or two though. And, and I guess last but not least, are they going to go undefeated with the pink jerseys again? That's my question. <laughs> Listen, this is one of the the anomalies that one of my favorite anomalies in sports. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense that a team is undefeated in these jerseys. 
Uh, they wore them a lot last year. Um, a Are lot, they a lot. still undefeated? I don't believe they're I, still I don't undefeated. Think anymore, but they were for a, for a good chunk there. Yeah, and I think the reason that happened is because they wore them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, they are. They're, listen, there are the best jerseys in the Big Ten, and I don't want to hear it. Uh, listen, I very much like the jerseys. As, as the unbiased observer in this room, I very much <laughs> like those jerseys. Uh, what do you mean? You're, you're talking to me like I'm a season ticket holder here. I am talking to I'm I am talking to a season ticket holder like he's a season ticket holder. That is correct. Listen, as I was a student here, I bought season tickets every year when I was here. I'm a big time basketball fan. I love basketball. Very excited to cover this team because of it's new, right? Like you, there was a level of so as someone who grew up watching the team, went to school at Penn State, watched the team quite a bit, covered the team for two years. There was a staleness to it, right? Like outside of 2019, like there was a staleness to Penn State basketball, and I think that's not the case anymore. And I think that is a really important step to bring a level of newness. And it seems the students have bought in. It seems the community's bought in. And it seems like Micah Shrewsbury's got got a chance to actually make the steps that Pat Chambers never could really make. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up too. Like pe- people talked about his, how historically awful it was to play at the Bryce Jordan Center because it just no one would go. It's, it's empty. It's empty. Well, and it's also like, it's not a good basketball venue no. generally. Like it's built for concerts, which is fine. Like yeah. you can build a concert venue for concerts, but it's when you no play basketball call. there, right, like it's not going to be, but they'll never play games at Red Call I full know. time. It's unrealistic and unfair to expect it, I think. Uh, but it really isn't a great basketball facility, but if you fill it up, it can be. And I mean, the sellout that they had was incredible. That That environment was something that I've never seen at Penn State other than like the Bryce Jordan Center duel yeah, the the wrestling. Pretty much every wrestling duel at the BJC yeah. is like what the basketball games should be. Yeah, uh, if if they're good, um, they they hadn't been of late. Twenty nineteen, I think, was a special year for that. Was, they they made a special run that they. I mean, they're not going to make that run again. You know, that with this team, just because Lamar Stevens is currently playing in the in the NBA for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Does and he actually, have any more eligibility? Can he just jump back in? Is don't that? don't believe that's how that works. <laughs> Even with the NIL legislation, I don't believe that's how that works. But no, that's right. Like they needed that level of talent to carry that team. I don't know that they need that because they have better coaching now um, by a lot. But, you know, I still think they need there, – there are holes that need filled for this team to get to the next level. Um, but they will open the season nonetheless uh, Wednesday night. This might come out after the game uh, regardless. You know, a solid season preview for what should be at least a, a fun team to watch this year. Opening night Wednesday at the BJC. Uh, against Youngstown State and then for some reason traveling to UMass uh, to play at Amherst the following Monday before things really get rolling. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to covering this team, very much looking forward to watching what should be a well-coached basketball team. Yeah, it sounds like the, the, the term for this season is cautiously optimistic with a flavor and a little hint of oh, excited to see what's to come. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's probably the way to view this. Like The final record might not be the best way to evaluate this season. I think it is... If you can see a foundation is built at the end of the year, that's that's pretty big, uh, and I think that is that's a reasonable goal, and I think it's a likely outcome at this point. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of the Lion's Lair. You can find Kyle and I on Twitter at, at KyleJAndrews underscore, and I am at John Sauber. You can find Noah Rife on Twitter at, at Noah Rife, R-I-F-F-E. Uh, you can read Kyle and I's work at centerdaily.com. You can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. You can find Noah's work all over the place because he takes photos for a lot of people and produces our podcast. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.